Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Tim Houck with Keller Williams in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Last year, he closed 155 transactions with a total sales volume of $35 million and earned $875,000 in GCI. His average sales price was $228,000, of which 51% were buyers and 49% were sellers. Tim has a nine-member team, three buyer agents, two listing agents, one transaction coordinator, one listing manager, one executive assistant, and one team leader. Tim is the team leader of the Hauk Group. He's been an agent for 11 years. In this call, Tim talks about waiting tables at night so he could work real estate full-time during the day for his first six months, earning six figures his first full year in the real estate, his rude awakening during the Great Recession, and the realization that he needed better systems. Ramping up to 155 units last year, staying in production, and selling 60 homes personally. What to do when a natural disaster hits your community and destroys 100,000 homes. How to list for sell by owners, including approach, scripts, setting appointments, selective follow-up, role play, time cycles, data resources, and success rates. How he gets 60% of his business by repeating referrals from past clients and sphere of influence, including his annual marketing plan. Why you should hold a Pi Day giveaway event in March instead of November. His 50 core advocate group and why you need one. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Tim. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, Tim. It's great to have you here. Tim, before we talk about what you're doing today, Let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. It was very diverse for real estate, but graduated from high school, actually went into the military for six years. I um, was uh, four years active and two years in active reserve, in which I was pretty involved with. Um, after the Navy, I went to college, got my college degree in marketing. And, you know, in Baton Rouge at the time, wasn't finding what I was looking for in the marketing field. So I was searching. I was waiting tables, um, you know, and I like to say that with a grain of salt because, you know, nothing wrong with waiting tables. I wanted to open and run restaurants. That was actually what my passion was going to be. I love food. I love cooking. But I realized that running restaurants is a whole different ball game as far as quality of life goes. And the quality of life has always been pretty important to me. So I decided that working those hours was not going to be for me. So the main table, you got to think that I'm around 30 years old at this time because you got to think Navy, college, and all this stuff. So 
waiting tables at 30, absolutely upset at that whole deal. But I wanted the right thing and uh, got into the mortgages for a few months and realized that sitting, just, you know, being complacent in an office just wasn't my thing. I needed to be out talking to people and someone suggested real estate. So I was thinking about that and I met a guy that from Keller Williams at lunch. He's like, hey, you should, you know, come by and talk to us. And I did. Went in and talked to him, loved what I saw, but wound up interviewing um, a few other brokerages in town just to get some perspective. And um, ultimately decided to go join Keller Williams, and that's where I've been ever since. But I like to tell people the story because, you know, when people come work for me or with me on my team, and I explain to them, it, it's, it's tough work getting started. I, at the time, when I got started in real estate, I, I would work from 8 to 3 doing real estate. And I would work from four to midnight um, waiting tables. And I was so hungry. I was hungry, man. I wanted it. I, I, I was dedicated to this path and I was going to make it work no matter what. And so for six months, I didn't have a single day off, not one. But after six months, you know, I, I never had to wait a table again. Well, tell us, what did you do that first six months to get up and running, to get your business going? I talked to a lot of people. That was my philosophy, so come to classes and learning what lead generation was about, and it's really been the core of my business. I was leveraging the fact that I was around people all, all evening, right? I was waiting tables still, so what was I doing? I was talking to people, and I started building relationships there, so it was actually worked out extremely well. Started new career in real estate. I was able to hand out the business cards, and you know, I actually wound up my manager at the restaurant, actually the owner of the restaurant, knew that I worked real hard and um, my first listing came from him. I got four listings from investment property. And right around that time, I was picking up some buyers from people coming into the restaurant and uh, that's how I did it. It was a per- The service industry is a magnificent segue into the world of real estate. That first year, do you think that you had a fast start or a slow start? I say it's steady. Let's go with steady. I... It was a nice taste of it. It was enough to make me want more. You know, it was relatively slow. Those first few months was nothing. And then month three and four, I started to get some things. But month six, I felt comfortable enough to let go of the waiting tables. So that was in 2006. In 2007, I had an extremely fast year. I made a ton of money. Um, you know, I went from making $37,000 a year. I was now making over six figures. Um, that was 2007, probably made $125,000, And um, I'm a big believer in things happen for a reason. To my detriment, 2008 was an extremely slow start. Right, 2007, I thought I knew it all. I was mastering the real estate game. It was easy. Well, we all know what started to happen in 2008. And, um, you know, it was a really rough year for me. But what it did is it, it humbled me. And maybe realized I had to go back to the drawing board and realize what, what I was doing and what, what I wasn't doing. What I was doing in 2008 was busy work. I wasn't doing income producing activities for the most part and making excuses and not tracking my numbers and not doing the right, the things correctly to actually run a successful real estate career. So I, um, 2009, I said, hey, I'm going to follow these models, these systems. And I'm going to give it a good run. And at the end of the year, I'll decide what I'm going to do from there. And um, I, had, I really had a good year. I really did. It was back to 2007 numbers and 
you know, I was running a healthy, predictable business. And from there, I just decided it was, I was going to build on it. You mentioned you were using systems to get things back in line. What type of systems are you talking about? The essentials, having a database that was prompt me to do the behaviors I needed to do. So in October 2008, when in the middle of a dire period, I was like, man, this is not going to work. I had, it was October. And I can tell you exactly how much money I'd made up to that point. It was, it was around $30,000 in 2008. And this is, you know, this is actually, this was September when I had the realization that I wasn't making money again. And so I bought the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book, um, probably the best 12 bucks I've ever spent. I carry it with me today and just really learned about systematizing lead generation. So I got top producer. That was the, the system I got then. And you know what? I still have it today in conjunction with some other things. But I really just focused on being systematic with the activities. You know, the book really talks about doing predictable actions gives you predictable results. And that's what I wanted. I didn't want the roller coaster of $0 month followed by a $20,000 month followed by a $2,000 month. I wanted predictable income over the spread of the year. So that was the things I really got into, just really following the 33 times, 8 by 8, 12 direct systems. Let's fast forward to today. How long have you been in the real estate business now? 11 years. And last year, how many homes did you sell and what was the sales volume? 155 homes for $35 million. Do you recall what the GCI was last year? And it was in the 800s. I want to say around 850, 875, somewhere in that neighborhood. That's better than 37000 a year as a waiter, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> good stuff. a lot stuff. better than 37000 How about this year? How are you doing year to date? This year, uh, year to date, we're at 100 and let's see, I've got my spreadsheets open. Year to date, we are at 132 homes for around $32 million. Excellent. So you're maintaining that level up there. And how many homes do you think you've sold in your career? I think we calculated somewhere around 830, 833 homes. Let's do this. Tell us where you are. Where are you at right now? What's your market? So my market is a little interesting because I'm in production. I, I list homes. I don't really work with buyers unless it's someone who's in, absolutely insisting and it's usually been a long-time client. Baton Rouge is a very predictable, stable market. Even through the recession, it fell flat, but we didn't see any crazy drops. But, you know, there are people that are absolutely looking to buy and they're looking to sell. So we've done well, but we, we lost 100,000 homes last year. And I don't know if, wow. you know, I think the media started to pick up on that, but it was three days in. It wasn't, we didn't have a hurricane. So the media did, wasn't aware that we got 31 inches of rain in like 36 hours. And we lost 100,000 homes. And uh, I mean, literally, it was a frenzy. So, you know, that was in August of 2016. And the ensuing year, there was a lot of what was predictable, not necessarily so this year. So we really, uh, you know, was really just having to take it month by month, quarter by quarter, analyzing days on market inventory levels to try to get a feel for what we were doing. There were months this year where I'd list homes and I couldn't, felt like I couldn't pay people to get in the door. Then we had in a separate period where I had, I was almost out of inventory. I couldn't, I couldn't get homes fast enough. So 
and has really started to level out. Our inventory is back up to, you know, close to, I think, right around five to six months. And so technically still a little bit into a seller's market, but it feels, feels normal. So I'm really excited for 2018. We've got some lofty goals here. Our minimum threshold of what we want to do this year is 250 homes for just over 50 million. Sounds like your market has really been dramatically changing, uh, not just inventory levels that most people experience, but these natural disaster type things and things are yo-yoing around. How do you stay mentally balanced? How do you stay clear-headed in that craziness? Usually see guidance from a number of areas. One is I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of motivation and things like that. So, you know, it, to stay in the game heavy, I, I need a really good mindset on how I'm going to conduct business in general. But when you go through something, a natural disaster, then you need guidance from someone who's been through it. And so what I did was contact people who had been through business, people in Florida. I know Nashville had gone through it in 2010. I talked to some people there, talked to people. And, you know, it was resounding. It, when it happens, you feel like life is over for a period of time. You're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to sustain? And overwhelmingly, I had a lot of encouragement. People that had been through it and said, well, it's tough now, but it's going to be better later. And so, you know, when the flood happened in August, it was, how are we going to pay his bills? How are we going to do these things? And what we did was, I, I just decided to come from contribution with that. And so, really, instead of focusing on selling real estate, I just focused on helping the community. Got really involved with helping people gut homes. I mean, it was weeks and weeks of gathering supplies and helping people get the water out of their homes because if mold starts to set in. And so we just really got involved with helping our neighbors and our community, not focused on selling real estate. And the strangest thing happened in September. We had probably the busiest month, uh, one of the busiest months we had that year was September. It was people that flooded that needed to buy a home. It was... A number of things happened, and it's, I don't know. I, I'm blessed that that happened that way. Uh, now, the next month was down, and so on and so forth. But, you know, it's back to the mindset question you asked. It's just you have to understand what people have been before and what they've been through and how they behave. And so we got some guidance there and just started to model ourselves after them. Success leaves clues, and so I'm not trying to re- recreate the wheel. Tim, you mentioned something earlier I want to get back to. You said that you are still in production. Uh, you closed 155 units last year. How many of those were put together by you? Last year, probably 60. 60 of those are my deals. So you're still putting together about 60 transactions a year on your own, and it sounds like most of those are listings? Most of those are listings. Yep. I think of those 60, I think 10, I think I have 10 buyers. And like I said, those are either in my core advocate group or um, an investment property that was someone that I sold, uh, worked with on the purchase side. Let's switch gears and let's talk about how you're generating leads for your business. Uh, you mentioned that that's an area that you enjoy and you focused on over the years. One of the uh, areas that you've built up is you get for sale by owners into your world. Let's talk about how you're doing that. How are you converting for sale by owners into appointments and listings? That's been an interesting journey, Mike. At first, we were having very low success with them. I think like a lot of people, we were just trying to get into the door. 
Uh, I was like, well, we may have a buyer. Turns out that strategy is not the most efficient from a time perspective. Because again, we look at time, return on investment, not just money, but time. And uh, a lot of those people, you know, just, again, we're either going to wind up listening and selling on their own, not going to sell at all, or wind up listening to another agent because we weren't bringing enough value. So what we decided after that was like, we'd rather go on much less appointments, right? Let's spend less time going on appointments and make sure that they're essentially want and need to sell and, and give, present our value proposition in person. So we became systematic with, one, using our CRM to stay in touch with them. Two, we were only going on to the appointments for, with people that actually were going to give us an opportunity to present our listing presentation. And three, it was just to stay in touch with them. We found that they weren't necessarily going to listen to us right away. And they were a bit skeptical. They might have thought their home wouldn't sell. Only for months later, uh, they, they realized they're either done being a sub owner or that our value was strong enough to them that they chose to work with us. How do you initiate the contact with the for sale by owner? Are you calling them, sending them a postcard, knocking on their door? So we use Vulcan 7 to get our data. And then we've got tool cold directory. And uh, so Vulcan gives us our data. And we initiate the conversation via phone. If it's in our wheelhouse, I focus on one zip code mostly. So if it's in our zip code, we'll call them. We'll mail them one of our listing packets, and then we'll you know have some follow-up calls. If they're outside of our geographic focus area, it's strictly phone calls. And once we've had conversations with them, we always do a handwritten note after, regardless if they were nice to us or not, thanking them for speaking with us. So there's always a handwritten note that follows. Let's start there at the beginning. When you make that initial phone call, could you give us the script or walk through a role play with us? I have a different approach than most people. Inevitably, I know they've been called a million times. And rather than try to badger them, we're absolutely, you're going to change the world, right? Rather than badger them, I come at it from a different approach. And it basically says, inevitably, just say, hey, look, understand you're trying to sell your home completely. If I were selling my home, I would probably go that route as well. However, 85% for sale owners ultimately wind up listening with an agent. In the event, that you would, would it be okay, came and presented our value proposition. So when you make the decision that you're armed and ready and can hit the market as soon as possible. So it's a very non-invasive approach and we let them control it. And we offered alternate times to meet and said, and if they're open to it, we say, great. So it's Thursday at four o'clock or even Saturday, maybe have lunch sometime, we're good for you. So I want to know they may be home and it's not too early and not too late. So it's just a very non-invasive approach. From there, again, so if we get that appointment, they're going to handwritten note, okay? So we're establishing a pattern here that we're great at follow-up. Two is we're very professional. And so once we go to the appointment, it's just providing data. I show them things that other real estate agents may not be showing them, things such as inventory, days on market. How is not just cops in your neighborhood? So many agents are showing like, hey, here's cops in your neighborhood, but also saying, hey, this is... That's, you know, at a very micro level, let's go bigger. Let me show you what's going on in the marketplace. They understand if someone's looking at your home, they're also looking at these other ones. How do you stack up against them? So there, a lot of times some owners just Google their street, their neighborhood, or, and then that's how they're coming up with value. And, you know, sometimes that data is accurate and lots of times it's just not. 
they don't understand what's going on in the marketplace as a whole. And in a crazy year like we've had this year, there were months where they're for someone who's having success. This time of year, they're not. So we're converting at a very high level right now. We've got pipeline, I see on my board right now, of six that are in our pipeline to hit the market in 2018 already. So you're taking a fairly direct approach. You're going directly for a listing appointment once you start the conversation. If you had 100 for sale by owners that got into your system, how many of those would end up listing with you? What percentage of conversion are you getting? So if we get 100% owner leads or if we've had 100 solid conversations. Yeah, let's start with the leads. If you put 100 people in the top of the system, they came in through Vulcan or your database, your research, and you just put them into the system at the top 100, how many come out the bottom as listings? I would say about 8, 8% out of 100. About 8%. Pretty good. Yeah, about 1 out of 12. That's not bad. And so uh, you're making... Again, we're, we're going on less appointments. Before, we were going on lots of appointments and just, you know, you know, we had a lot of them and our conversions were low. Now we're having more powerful conversations going on less appointments because we do do a lot of probing questions, too. If, if they're just testing the market and they're just seeing if they can get that price, I, I'm not going to go meet with them. They're not ready. They're not motivated. That's not a motivated seller. But if we do a probing question and they understand they've got a, they're going to be moving out of town, listen, that person has to sell their home. I want to meet with them. And so we're... Um, you know, this is something we really started in last year, middle of the year, um, once we started changing the tactic of meet with everyone to try to find the really motivated. So we're still tracking that data, but I would still say, I think it's in that neighborhood and hopefully it's a little better this year. You mentioned you're doing the conversation, you're starting off with a call. You also said you would send out a mail, a listing packet to them if they look good. What's in that packet? A packet is our team our sales data, how we stack up against the competition in the area. It doesn't matter if you're a new agent or experienced agent, you can always present the data that's going to make you look how you need it to look. So for ours has how many homes we've sold, our days on market, our average list to sale ratio, right? So we're at 98.5%. So for the year, um, there are times in the year when I was at 99%, but 98.5% low list to sale price ratio. Is pretty solid in our market. The average here is, I think, is around is 96. So I'm, I know that I'm, I'm confident that I'm going to net that seller a little bit more money. So that's in our packet. Our marketing plan and our team makeup, who handles what, and, and just our overall value proposition and the actual the selling process. For sale, owners don't always know how the entire process works. So it's an overview of what start to finish the list to closing process looks like. So, in, so just a little bit of data on our team, that's the market and the process. Because there's a lot of information we want to deliver in person. Let's talk about timing uh, for, for sell by owners. You mentioned they can take a little bit of time. So on average, what do you think the time is between the time you first per, uh, for sell by owner in your system to the ones that you do end up listing and you actually go out and list them? So the ones that do list, from the time they start to the time they list, what do you think is the average amount of time that you're working with them? My data today shows me that we're around 90, around 90 days. So about three months 
uh, staying with them and working with them. And during that 90 days, how often are you contacting them? Roughly, depending on motivation, once uh, we have them, should be touching base with them once a week. And that looks like one week is a call, one week is an email. If someone is, you know, if we've met with them and they're going to be listening at home with us, then it's going to be a little bit more contact there. We're going to be getting vendors, you know, sending out our contractor or your landscape. Like, look, we've seen your home. Here's what we think is going to net you the most amount of money in this condition. So what do we need to do? And so we have a little bit more hands-on, but at least once a week. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. If they do meet with you, from the time that they meet with you, if they end up listing with you, how quick is that typically? That's usually within two weeks. So if they do meet with you, it speeds the whole thing up. It's They're probably going to list within a couple weeks. Right. I mean, overall, if they're for some owner, their home is somewhat ready. Uh, it may not be the condition that we would like it in. So overall, they're somewhat ready. But if they've met with us and we signed off, that's usually about two weeks, yeah. You mentioned you're alternating between a phone call and email out to them. How are you getting their email address? It's just one of our questions that we ask up front. So we've got their phone number. We've got their address. We may or may not have their email from Vulcan. I cross-reference it against our FSBOBR website. So if we get it through Vulcan and we don't have their email address, we'll cross-reference it. I can acquire it that way. And then if we can't find it, then we make sure we get that email address. You mentioned you're doing this follow-up every week for 90 days, so that's about 12 weeks, 12 follow-ups. What are you talking about on the call, and what are you sending out in those emails? On the call, let's pretend that you know, we haven't met with them, that they're resisting. And it generally is, you know, we've had a decent conversation, or we've had no conversation at all. It's really just calling a follow-up to see how it's going. And again, letting them know that we're there. We want to work with them. We're not badgering them. We don't have commission breath. And I'll use that term frequently, by the way, commission breath. So we focus on value. What can we provide to them? I offer them free stuff sometimes. You know, I'm like, pretend you're a facility owner, and I'm calling in on Monday. Sure. I'm like, hey, you know, hey, Mike, let's call in touch. Thanks, man. I, I know weekends are a very busy weekend for showings and an open house. Did, did you have an open house this weekend? Yeah, we were planning on it. Yeah, we just did one last week. Yep, we're thinking about doing it again. Right. So you didn't do one this past Sunday? Yeah, well, we did. We did. Not very many people showed up, though. We only had, I think, two people showed up. Oh, man, that's crazy. We we had one a few streets over. I think we had around 14. Did you have a lot of signage out? We had a sign out front, you know, in the driveway. Mike, what we find is if we put signs not only in the driveway, but at every intersection, and then at the entrance to the subdivision, and maybe even along the highway get leading up to the subdivision, that we can generate a lot more traffic to open houses. Just FYI. Wow. That sounds like a, a lot of signs. I don't even know how to get those kind of signs. 
again, that's the service we provide, but if you continue to do it on your own, you could go over to FastSign and, and they run about 15 bucks each. And that's just something that we've already invested in. But, you know, actually, so if you do your ex open house and, you know, you might just want to want to think about that. Oh, thanks for the advice. You know, that simple conversation, and we have a ton of them, but that simple conversation is focused on the value that we provide to the cost of just running an open house. You know, selling an house isn't as easy as it sounds on paper. So, you know, it's, again, just, just value. I'll give them that free advice, and then I may come back at them with, well, have you and the wife talked? Are you guys any closer to interviewing an agent? Yeah, we're thinking about it. We uh, got to be up there in Denver in uh, about two months. Well, man, look, before you guys spend any more of your precious family time on a Sunday or go out and spend $15 and all these other signs, let me come by and talk with you and the wife on Thursday. Again, show you what our value is and how we are helping our sellers net the most amount of money. Yeah, why don't we do that? Why don't you come over? Look, I'll stop by. Would, uh, would 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock work better for you? Uh, probably 4 o'clock. Great, great. I'll see you at 4 o'clock, but what I'll do is we'll be in touch on Wednesday just to confirm the appointment, just in case anything changes. In the interim, I'm going to send you over our listing packet just in case you lost the other one. I'll send that over again. Take a look through it. Inevitably, it's going to answer some of your questions, but probably pose a few more, which I'll be happy to answer when I see you guys at 4 o'clock. Does that sound good? That sounds great. We'll see you then. Great. See you then. Boom. So you were looking for that motivation. Yeah. As soon as you found out that they were ready to move right away, you jumped right on setting an appointment. Jump on setting the appointment. And definitely there's a lot of frustrations there with several owners and they need help. And so my thing has always been providing value, just giving value, talking. When you're talking to people about real estate, crazy things shows up, you know, in the form of an appointment somewhere, somehow or referral. So what I'm teaching my new people, and we'll go through my makeup and my team soon, but you know what I'm teaching my new people is just talk to people. Talk to people. Get educated on the market. Convey what's going on. Explain how it works. And um, it's always fueled. I've always, it's always given me enough, more than enough leads. So you're showing your expertise in it, that you're the go-to person for real estate. And it's working in all the different areas. What I'd like to do now, thank you for walking us through the for sale by owners. I know you're getting a lot of business from your past clients and sphere of influence, repeating referrals. It's about 60% of your business. Uh, Let's talk about that for a second. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Past clients, sphere of influence. uh, I checked this morning, 2,500. About 2,500. And if you were to break that out, how many of those are past clients and then how many are sphere of influence? I guess past clients, it wouldn't be more than what, about 800? Unfortunately, it's lower than that number, which means they haven't done a good enough job somewhere along the line of assigning that. However, a lot of our clients are moving out of state. And so that may account for some of that as well. But I calculated our past clients at around 700. About 700. And so the rest are sphere of influence. Now, are those people that you know or just people that you've bumped into? Or does it include people that are beyond your sphere of influence? Who's in the 2,500? Uh, that is my sphere of influence, my administrative people's sphere of influence, my agent sphere of influence. So when someone joins my team before they're 
and this is this is worked well for me is the hardest thing people to do is sometimes get their database in. So now before they're eligible for leave, uh, at minimum, they have to give me 100 names. So they get uh, they have to enter in 100 names to be eligible to get start getting some leads. Um, because in the past, I have failed. I have let that not be a, you know optional to get the people in there. But what I found is when I teach them the right behaviors and they can get in front of not only you know leads that I'm giving them, but they're here, that I can, I can make them a lot more money. You mentioned earlier, I'm trying to recall what you called it. You said an advocate group, a core advocate group. Is that a smaller subsection of this list? That's a smaller subsection. I have 50 core advocates. Only will allow 50 at a time. And so someone's either in that circle or they're outside of that circle. Okay. Well, let's do this. Let's talk about the the two groups and and how you handle them. Let's first talk about the big group, the 2,500. What are you doing over the course of the year to stay in front of them, you know, as far as calls, mail, email? What are you doing? If I were to ask you what your annual marketing plan is, could you outline that for us? Absolutely. Uh, They're going to get one call a quarter. They're going to get one handwritten note a quarter. They're going to get our monthly newsletter. They're going to get our monthly mailer. And they're going to get invited to our client events, which is once a quarter as well. Okay. Very good. So on that once a quarter call, what's happening in that call? What's your script look like? That call is all about them. So my phone calls are generally just all about them, uh, you know, checking in on them, their family, their jobs, making sure, maintaining that an accurate database is one part of it. So imagine if you never ask a question, did they change jobs or did they get a new email address? Simple questions like that. Just, hey, how's the family? And Kids enjoy school. I just want to check before we hang up. Did you change email addresses? Did you change? Did you still have the same job? Tim, you also mentioned you're doing four handwritten notes. Are those handwritten notes happening right after the call? Those handwritten notes do not happen right after the call unless I deem it necessary. So uh, let's say, right, so I just talked to you. I verified you're still at the same job. You've still got the same email address, but we talked about something. I'm going to note that in, in my yeah. Okay. So a few weeks later is when the note card is scheduled to go up. And so I'll, I'll check my, as I'm writing my handwritten notes, I'm checking to make sure there's anything I throw in there. And that's just, Hey, pleasure to talk to you. Great catching up. Please keep me in mind. The handwritten note is where I do a lot of the soliciting for business. Just I'll drop a business card in there. Just keep me in mind for any friends, families, or, you know, neighbors that may be interested in buying or selling some real estate. Simple, really simple. You also mentioned that you send out a monthly newsletter. Is that by snail mail or email? Both. On the 15th, we've got a monthly postcard that goes out. And that postcard, it varies depending on the time of the year. It may be a a snapshot of all our listings. It may be uh, some team data stats for Christmas, obviously with a Christmas card. But again, I want to stay in front of these people as much as possibly can. Um, that's important to us. And my goal is top of mind awareness. And so on the 15th, we've got our mailer. On the 21st is our e-newsletter. And that e-newsletter is, has a fantastic response. and has guided them to our social media pages. I usually am highlighting something in the community. I highlight something, uh, maybe a recipe, highlight a listing or two. And again, I'll send links out if they want to know more about what's going on with us in the team, direct them to various websites. 
or social media. We're trying to stay in front of our people as much as we can. You mentioned you're also putting together uh, client events, client parties. How many did you say you're doing a year? Four. Four. Wow. Once a quarter. What type of parties or, or events are you putting together, those four over the course of a year? So I wish I could say that those were standard and everyone does a little bit differently. We're obviously looking for the most effective. Typically, what a year may look like is, you know, we're trying to, like, we'll rent out a movie theater and do, like, movie night for, you know, families that bring their kids. We'll rent out a whole section of the theater. They can come. And it's like, a, I think we did Captain America. I had somebody dressed up like Captain America and take pictures with the kids. And that was pretty successful. We rented a jump house, one, like one of those trampoline places for one. And that one went over extremely well. Parents were out there having a great time, kids. And even for the people who are SOP'd and some couldn't make it rather than being, you know, a little upset with them, what I did was people who couldn't make it, they gave them some gift cards. And so I gave them a free pass. So I was like, hey, sorry you couldn't make it. Here's a couple passes. Go have some fun on us. So now they couldn't make it, but now I've still got given them something of value that they can go do on their own time. Holiday parties haven't been very successful for us. So I'll be honest, that one, that one hasn't been real good for us. I know for some people that's a huge thing. We've done uh, Pi Day uh, before. That one worked very well. We usually try to do that one. Okay, so it's funny. We either do that one around Thanksgiving or we'll do it on March 14th. <laughs> right, 314. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The number of Pi, 3.14. Yeah. How's that that's work? Right. The people get a big kick. That's been probably the best thing I've ever done. It's uh, it's hilarious. People are like, "Pi, oh, I get it." <laughs> and uh, so the two, you know, one it's got this kind of just kind of funny factor, and then the other thing is, I sent a really good pie. I mean, I'll be honest, the pies were I got them down to like eight dollars a pie, seven eight dollars a pie. I mean, we delivered, you know, a hundred. I delivered a hundred of them. Moving forward, delivering is probably not the most feasible. Uh, way to get the huge pods out there, but it was the most effective. So if you've got a smaller database, I'd say deliver them. When you get to a bigger one, that's just not feasible. But man, people came home, they had a pie on their desk, and they, I mean, on the doorstep, they were, thought it was hilarious. They were contacting us. So we got people, you know, call me like, where did you get that pie? I mean, again, that <laughs> was the quality. So it just, it opened up so much um, conversation uh, on social media, in person, on the phone, text. That's priceless dialogue to me. That is awesome. Where, where did you buy those pies? Was it a local shop? It was a local shop, yeah. But uh, what I found is if you know, you're in a community that maybe doesn't have somewhere local that you can get them cost-effective, Costco. Sam's or Costco, has, you can go in there and usually negotiate with them a little bit and say, hey, look, I got this bulk order. They will absolutely not miss the mark on producing for you, and it's at a fair price, and they're good. Very good. Now, Real quick, you mentioned you have these 50 core advocates. Are you doing anything different for them? And if so, what? Absolutely. Those are the people that I'm going to dinner with. Those are the people that are getting invited to a little bit more events that, you know, I'm going to stop by their house. I'm going to do pop buys. They're going to get invited to everything. They get a little bit better Christmas present, Christmas cheer, as we call it. You know, we'll drop some stuff off at their house or we did one, we had, you know, we had a storm this year. We went and dropped off some flashlights, just a little small token, say, hey, we're here. And it's just thoughtful. So that, that was just a little bit more. So what, I, I just think it's get a little bit more love. 
The 50 core advocates, are they providing the majority of your referrals? How do they get on that 50 core list? Um, they're either, they've either sent me referrals consistently or enriched my life in other ways. You know, if it's somebody that's, I'll give you a couple examples. One, one of the guy I've actually, I've never sold him a house, but he consistently sends me four to five referrals a year. I think I'd taken care of his mother um, when she was sick and had done something for her. And then he has just been, he's just been a raving fan for us. He sends me business every year. And I take care of him and his family. I mean, I send them things and spend time with them. And that's just a, he's a, he's a believer in my business. He hasn't moved, hasn't sold in one house. So it's interesting who can, you know, who, who can be an advocate for you. And I think you have to shift your mindset of, of what that looks like. You know, it isn't just referrals. I have, uh, have a guy in there who's kind of like a mentor to me. He does send me some business, you know, here and there. But more importantly, I mean, when I need guidance or, He's up early. I'm up early. We chat all the time about life and challenges. And it's somebody who's just, I kind of pour into, he pours into me. And it's a very reciprocal relationship. And as a result, he's my 50. And so I think you just have to be very selective about that, who you want it to be and who you're going to spend time with. Unfortunately, as your sphere grows, you can't spend time with everyone equally. It's just, it's not feasible. If you believe in quality of life like we do here, so you got to be selective about who you can love on the most. And lots of people don't need it nor want it. And they still will send you a referral here and there. But your core group is going to be people that who support your business in some way or the other more than anyone else. Well, Tim, let's switch gears here. Let's talk about your team. Give us a quick overview of your team. And we're looking for the team structure so people could see what it looks like, titles and responsibilities. Awesome. I'll start with myself, CEO, listing agent. I have Two other listing agents, uh, one person who just moved into that role. I'm saying that to show how new some of this is. So I've got myself and two listing agents, three buyer's agents. Two of those agents are under 90 days, and I've got three people on the administrative side. I've got a um, transaction coordinator, listing manager, and executive assistant. Now, a lot of people, when they're listening to us and they hear about and they're thinking about putting together a team or already have a team put together, the big question they have is compensation. Would you mind telling us how you structured the compensation for your listing agents and buying agents? Uh, I'd love to. So I'd like to preface on the fact that my team, we, we don't talk much very much. In our world, I'm bringing on people who understand net proceeds. They understand net money. They understand opportunity. So Commission usually isn't the thing that we talk about. They're more worried about how many deals they're going to do or how much money they can bring home or what vacations they can go on. And I sell the value of what we provide on our team. So they know how much I spend on advertising and marketing and making sure their clients are getting mailers and they've got supplies and they've got opportunities to grow. But uh, my buyer division, how I've structured it is 45% splits. And I've done that with the intent on that other 5% I'm put into a separate account. That 5% is going to be paying for our inside sales division that we'll be forming. And so that 5% override will be going to that department. On my listings team, they get 35%. Listings cost more money. The industry average says that 65% of listings sell. It's more around 75 for us. 
However, there are listings that do not sell, and those cost money too. Uh, we pay for all advertising. We pay for everything. All my, my sales team, all that I pay for, uh, all they pay for, I'm sorry, is uh, their annual real estate due. I pay for everything else. Desk fees, marketing, business cards, signage, anything, open houses, pay-per-click, extra stuff for clients. We take care of all that, printing, copies, and they're also on a reduced split with the office. So that's our joint makeup. What I have put in place as an incentive is if they bring the deal, if a client, my agents bring referrals from their personal sphere, and it has to be from their sphere only, they get 10% extra on, on that deal. Are you profitable? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm profitable. I'm very profitable. I will say, and in full disclosure, uh, I believe in admitting to your mistakes. Uh, I've all, I've, I teach profitability, and therefore it's been in my forefront a lot. Uh, in 2016, we were at around 42% profitability. 2015, I was more like 53%. And as you grow, your margins are going to decrease a little bit. And I've, and I've realized that, but 2017, my margins slipped more than I would like to trying to get out of production. And my biggest aha there was, there was two was one is stay focused on what you're good at and not necessarily throw money at the things you're not. And, and the other one is just red light, green light, spend the money when you have it, have it earmarked and hold those dollars accountable. But yeah, man, I, my profitability has always been in the forefront. 2017 was a learning year for me in that era. And I, and I love those lessons, right? When you make mistakes, it's like, now I don't want to repeat that. That was one of the best things that probably could have happened to me in this year. <laughs> Absolutely. That is where we learn the most when we get slapped upside the head. <laughs> things don't go our way. That's right. That's, that's, if you can't learn from your mistakes, then you're going to be condemned to repeat them. So I love when I have those moments and I can say, all right, now, now that gives me clarity and focus for what I need to focus on to in the coming year. Well, Tim, what drives you? I like to succeed. I've, I've always loved to succeed. I set goals. I love achieving goals. I've set some benchmarks that I haven't hit yet. Um, and I set those years ago. My passion has always been to have a seventh level team so that I can provide for the people around me and my family at such a high level. And I'm not anywhere near that. Now I have a daughter and a wife. I got married this year, had a baby this year. And so my big why has grown even more. It hasn't necessarily changed. I not only want to provide a path of growth and a big life for my team, but my family. And it's not just money. It's, it's time. How much, and there's, there's only so much of that you have. And I value that at a high level. So that motivates me at a very high level. And that gets me out of bed. I'm very structured with that. Tim, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Follow in the footsteps of someone else who's been successful. Be education-based. Listen more than you talk. Be ready to learn and have some patience. Have the fortitude to hang in there and do the activities because they're going to breed the results. Time on the task is the biggest predictor of the results. If you start it and finish and quit, you won't get it. So hanging in there is usually the toughest thing for new agents. What we do today shows up 60, 90, 120 days later. And it's, most people don't understand that when they start. So have fortitude, hang in there, do the activities, and uh, be ready for the success to follow. 
Well, Tim, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Absolutely, Mike. Absolutely. I really do. Well, Tim, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? Like I said, I think it's uh, being education-based. If they're listening to this podcast or they're listening to this interview, I just got back from Chicago where people paid very good money to hear a panel of speakers. Stay in education. Continue to learn and continue to push forward. Set some goals. When you set a goal, there's inevitably a list of activities. Those are the things that you need to perform. Well, Tim, you ran fast out of the gate by jumping into real estate full-time while also waiting tables at night. Your belief that talking to people will lead the business has paid off for you and your team members. You pulled yourself out of the Great Recession slump by finding models and implementing systems. When a natural disaster hit, you put your business on hold and jumped in to help your community. Your FISBO results improved when you went on fewer appointments with higher quality leads. You shared your annual marketing plan for your past clients and sphere of influence and why you established your core advocate group. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 216 homes worth $50 million last year with old school methods. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.